When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to episode number 55 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in central London, just off historic Abbey Road. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in to episode number 54 on REM's Document, where we feature for the first time my buddy Tom C. discussing that record, seeing them on that tour, and what that music meant to us at a very pivotal time in our lives in high school. We had a lot of great responses from that, and I really appreciate everybody tuning in and downloading there. As we get into the latter part of the year here, we start thinking about Christmas and giving gifts to each other. And a nice big box set that has just come out called Bootlegs Volume 1 from the band that we tend to bring up about every episode. We work them in one way or another. And a band that we did a double episode on back in the spring, and that's Rock Pop Prog Supergroup Asia. The 80s real first supergroup made up of prog superstars John Wetton from King Crimson, Uriah Heep, and UK fame, Steve Howe from Yes, Jeff Downs from The Buggles and Yes, and Carl Palmer from Emerson Lake and Palmer. They got together in the early 80s on the new Geffen label and released an album self-titled Asia in 1982 with the juggernaut hit heat of the moment and it went on to be the number one selling album in america that year a lot of people are freaked out when i tell them that but it's absolutely the truth sold nearly five million copies in america and ended up number one it's the number one selling album on the billboard chart in 1982 of course they were pushed right back in the studio in 1983 to do alpha and it had the hit don't cry on it but then some tensions in the band led to them breaking up. John Wetton famously did not play on the Asian Asia live broadcast over MTV in late 1983. They got Carl Palmer's buddy Greg Lake to come in and replace him for that. And then in 1984, they said, we need to get John Wetton back. And John said, fine, but that means Steve Howe has to go. They did go on to make a pretty decent album, Astra, in 1985, but they didn't tour on it because the interest had waned, the band had run its course, and everybody kind of retreated back to their old bands or other avenues from there. And then over the years, Asia went through many different lineup changes before the original band reunited in 2006-2007, first with a tour and then to do some new albums. This new bootleg box set has five different shows from 1982 to 2010. So a couple in the early 80s when they were first together and then a few from 2006 to 2010 as they got back together and reunited. Now all of these had been released previously as part of live albums or live bootleg releases in the past from Asia. But this is a nice new set where everything's kind of put together consistently. We've got some new artwork from Roger Dean, a couple little surprises in there for you. So because Jackson and I love Asia so much, we just figured this would be a fun set to talk about, a fun show, and give you an idea for the Asia fan, the prog pop rock fan in your life, something to get them for the holidays. A little bit quick business. You can always tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf 
or at ActionJack72, and make sure you subscribe or download anywhere you get your podcast. But of course, you can get all past episodes at www.UglyAmericanWerewolf.Libsyn.com. So with that, folks, we want to take you on this journey. There's a lot of information to cover here, five different concerts for us to review, not to mention the packaging and everything that goes into Asia Bootlegs Volume 1. Strap in, we're going to go in-depth here on Asia Bootlegs Volume 1, here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Holy, holy mackerel, man. Lots to go over here on this. Besides just the music. I don't know. You know, you got to be a little suspect because I was looking and I don't have all of them, but Asia has released these as like official bootlegs in the past. Usually single discs or sometimes two discers. And some were, were a little bit more official than that. But they've released a lot of live albums, like short print live albums. And some of them really did seem like they were bootlegs over the years. Like sometimes they call them that because they don't go into the studio and really clean them up. It's like it's from the soundboard, but it's not what we would do to release like a full live album release, right? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. To, to me, the, the term bootleg means Fred rerun Barry at the uh, Doobie Brothers concert with the cassette player in his pants. So yeah, you don't really know what you're going to get. It's somebody who recorded it. It's not official. Who knows? So yeah, I was a little, when it started, I said, eh, what are we going to get here? But I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, it sounds, it sounds good. It doesn't sound finished to me, only because if it was a real live record, like we talked about Kiss Alive, mm -hmm. they probably would have gone in there and cleaned up the vocals. They probably would have gone in there and added some more crowd noise. Yeah. Or fixed um, the really, mix a little bit or something like correct. that. Yeah, yeah a, a lot of the ones, especially the ones in Tokyo, and I know like yeah. Japan has a little bit of a different vibe to it, but it, was, it sounded like there were two people there. And I know that's not the case. And I know that, the, like I said, the people in Japan are, they're just more reserved. They're having a great time. They For show sure. up, but they're not going to scream and yell like right. the people in the rest of the world. Not well, like the, the, 
South Americans at the Maiden show. <laughs> Absolutely true. Yes, they're very reserved. They do applaud at the end of each song, you know, very Correct. politely. But they don't scream along. They don't like tap their feet and clap and stuff, you know, like we do. But yeah, no, we'll, we'll get to that. But that's a good observation because it was the exact same thing. It was the sound for me. The sound on the Tokyo bit was uh, was just a little lacking for me. But all right, basically, folks, what we're talking about is the Asia Bootlegs Volume One. Asia, which is a guilty pleasure of Jackson's of my and mine, uh, which is also more of, a, of an obsession, I would say, in some odd way. Um, it, but it's it's just a band we found together and used to laugh and drink and hang out to uh, back in the dorm room. And then, of course, being this music head that I am, I'm like, well, as I got older, I had to do more research and learn more about them. And you hear us work them into every show at least once somehow, because there's always a connection. But essentially, there is a big bootlegs box set out from Asia right now. A 10-disker uh, with five different shows from over the years, from 1982 to 2010. And it's got original Roger Dean artwork. And so I thought this would be a fun show for us to do, Jackson. I mean, it's not a classic record in that it just came out, but it is about songs that we've known for a long time. It's about Asia, and there's a lot to do with between the box set and everything else here, so I thought it'd be fun. Right, and, and Asia's gone through several lineup changes in its history. We, we saw them in 1992 on the, I think, the Aqua Tour with John Payne. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool to see there's, I think there's what, four or five, there's five concerts total, but they were all the original lineup. They, they picked and choose what they wanted to do or the shows that they wanted to showcase. So yeah, it is cool to hear the same band do five concerts in, what was the first one? It started in 82 and ended the last one in 2010. London. It was 2010. So, yeah, you can see the progression of how they went through. They added some new songs in as they went along, and they, mm-hmm. they put out uh, at least one new record, a Phoenix in 2008, of original material. So it was cool to see the line, the not the lineup change, but the set list and to hear the progression of John Wetton's vocals which Definitely. I mean, do you want? I think we. I want to start there from like the you know the ten thousand foot yeah. view of this thing. John Wetton's an animal. I mean, the 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 fact that there isn't it's it's cool because the the first couple of songs on the first record it seems like they go in order. Mm-hmm. So to hear him sing those songs without really a break is amazing. But then to hear him play the bass too, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. He's a really good musician when they're doing the solos. Right. So, yeah, and, and start to finish, you can tell he's older in 2010, obviously, but his voice still sounds really good. Now, I think it sounds even better, honestly. I mean, part of that's probably because the 82 and the 83s aren't perfect. The last three are off the soundboard, I'm fairly certain. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe one is, maybe not. Two is not, I'm, I'm convinced. But anyway, yeah, no, I think his voice sounds rich and he holds his notes very well as he got older. And he wasn't treating himself the way he probably was <laughs> back in 1982. I mean, look, the first show from Buffalo, which again, this was released as a bootleg in, I don't know, 2008, 2010 area, somewhere in there. You know, but it, it wasn't, I don't, it, I, I feel like they've done something to it. They've cleaned it up here. But John Wetton's voice was maybe a little tired. Steve even mentioned in the show, hey, this is about our 10th show or something like that. It was actually their 11th, their 11th show in 12 days. An 11th show of their careers. And, and, to, and being who John Wetton was back then, 
he might have been pushing the limits a little bit there, and, and maybe he didn't sound as good as when he finally kind of cleaned himself up and got healthy. And even if he gained some weight, he could still really belt it out. But yeah, no, I, I, I think John Wetton is what made Asia special what it is. Not that there's anything against the other guys. They're all fantastic. And I talk in here about how awesome I think Carl is to the band. But but John Wetton's voice is is the difference maker. It's what made yeah, it. I don't think I'm looking at these track lists here and I don't think, I think he was the only vocalist, right? Like he didn't, there wasn't any like, oh, yeah, oh, no, no, no. Gonna... this is all original Asia. They're not going to, they're not going to submit it. It's, it's these four guys on all of them. So yeah. No, no that's what, what, what I'm saying is that I don't think anybody else like, oh, now we're going to put, you know, Jeff on the mic. I mean, he, he, no. John sung lead on all the tracks. So he didn't get a break unless they were doing the solo stuff. Right. Right. And, and, you know, Jeff and even Steve, they chime in and individually, they're not great, but you put them both together and it adds a little something to help John through some of those right. some of those chorus things, you know. But but no, yeah, it's it's John really his his voice carrying Asia most of the time. Mm-hmm. And doing all the crowd work too, which is cool. I like that, you know, hey, good to see you. Thanks for coming out and you know, it, again, the thing that I really didn't like on this beginning part of this was that there wasn't really, you couldn't really hear the crowd. So it really sounds like they're almost kind of playing to empty places, which I know that's not the case, but this is kind of a, again, it's kind of a, it's what, what do you want in a live record? Do you want to hear live or do you want to hear something they put together in the studio to make you think that it was live or the cleanup version of it? Right. And, and this is cool because it's it's a little more raw, but everybody, every, the, the band always sounds good on all of these records no that's that's absolutely true we got a lot of stuff to get into here (laughs) so so let's jump in but first i want to just do the physical packaging okay yeah i mean it's you get it and it's it's not although it's 10 discs they don't make it into the most oversized things you have to basically build a special shelf for because it's like as big as an lp box or something like that no no it's it's got them all in here one nice kind of big library case where you can slide them in and out. And on the front, it's got new original Roger Dean artwork of the leopard paired with the eagle. Very cool, very Dean kind of quality to it with the Asia bootlegs logo down there. Nice stuff. And if you bought it, you did get an autographed Roger Dean oh, very nice. CD insert of it, a size thing, which is nice. It's the second time I've gotten Roger's autograph. And then, of course, it comes with a booklet where it kind of outlines the career of Asia. It's by Dave Gallant, who's written their biography and a couple versions of it. And then talks about the different shows and the things they did over the years and how they developed Midnight Sun, uh, which is on the first disc. It's the only song, really, that didn't appear on the first album. Because that's all they did. They played the whole first album. They did. Everybody got some solo time, and then they had kind of worked out Midnight Sun. But the thing about it is, and it's very nice. It's well done. It's not huge, but good photos and all that kind of stuff. But it's all photos of them later in the reunion years. There's really no pictures at all from back in the day. You know, it's and it's not like and every every concert is two discs. So every case is within the outer shell is about the same. It has the same artwork, but with the different words on it to say, hey, this is Buffalo in 1982, or this is uh, Worcester in 1983 or whatever and then you fold it open and it's got it it's got it there again all of them kind of their own color and then there's two discs although the first one probably only needed to be one but it breaks up makes for a very nice set all together here but yeah and even on the back of those there's no pictures of the band it's kind of generic here are some sepia drums you know here's a sepia headstock or whatever I'm like mm. why not put a picture of a band from that era even if it's not that night 
Why don't you include that in there? Now, I know you got to pay photographers and all that, and they basically already had all these in a state where they could release them. So they just kind of gathered five of their favorites or whatever, got a design together, got Roger to do this, and then they can push it out there for 80 bucks or 60 quid or, you know, whatever it is. Well, I remember when they did, what was it, Then and Now in 90, maybe it was 1990, 89 or 90. Yeah. The cover was kind of a mashup of all of the the different album covers. They had the first one, Alpha, and then they had they the, the Eagle record. Yeah, and correct. Astra. Robot and that the robot from Astra. And so the, the what I like about this is it's brand new. This this Roger Dean artwork is new for this thing. It, it have we have not seen it before. And Dean was always like the, the fifth member of the band. They always had really interesting packaging done by him to kind of highlight the new stuff. So I'm glad they put a new picture on there and not just rework some old stuff. Well, I agree. And, it, and it's awesome. I mean, you know, combining the uh, the eagle with the leopard, the talons and the wings, but then the rest of it's leopard with a tail, but then you got a little leopard ear coming out yep. of the eagle's head. I mean, it's, you know, it's classic Roger Dean, but some of his, some of his big trees kind of in the background behind it. Good stuff. All, anytime you get new Roger Dean, I think it's great. And hey, he autographed it for you if you buy this one. So that's, that's worth the price of admission right there. But what's not worth the price of admission is I was looking on this, and if you get it from Apple, mm-hmm. it's only 24 tracks. Right. So I so you're missing big chunks of this thing if you don't get the, the actual CDs. No, I, absolutely you're not. Yeah, and it, that's the thing. If you listen to it, if you have your Alexa or your whatever you call it, your Amazon Echo, play it, you uh, you can only get 24 of them too, you know. So mm-hmm. yes, you're, you're missing out in a big way. But here's the thing, I mean, you get a lot of the same songs. You know, that's that's one of the cool things too. I don't. I was trying to think of another live record where they've got or live compilation where they have the same tracks from different shows. I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but I, I I don't remember one off the top of my head. It's interesting to hear how the the songs change mm-hmm. from uh, and not not. I mean, they're not really changing them up, but they they change. The, the vocal stylings, they change up maybe the way that they delivered a little bit because, you know, the, the big hits are the big hits. People want to hear Heat of the Moment. You've got to play it all the time. Sure. So, you know, how do you make it interesting for yourself to play it again in 2010? Right, yeah. Not, yeah. 2000, not 1983. Yeah, yeah, you got to mix it up, right? And, you know, yeah, yeah you, you hear Heat of the Moment five different ways. And you hear Soul Survivor and Time Again mm-hmm. and... Only time will tell, you know, five different ways. Steve Howe plays, gets a solo, but he plays clap four times. You know, they do, he goes on four times, and sometimes Carl gets to do his drum solo there. So, I mean, yeah, you hear a lot of these over, but they were on five different tours, mm-hmm. right? Same guys, but five different tours, 82, 83, 2007, 2008, 2010. And it's actually cool that they got back together and did so much work later, not just, okay, we'll do a one-off, but we'll get into all of that. I mean, we, let's, we can kind of walk through here show by show and we can kind of give a little background. So 1982, Buffalo, it's there in May. It's their 11th show of their career together. It's getting into the summer here where Heat of the Moment is going to be this enormous hit. And they're playing theaters because they figure, hey, we're a new band. And and our old, uh, the stuff that we used to do in our former bands, all that prog, really kind of took a beating at the end of the 70s and the early 80s with the punks. And then the new wave coming in is like, that wasn't cool. So the band is just starting out. They decided they're not going to play anything from their old catalogs. They're only going to do original Asia stuff. 
which means they basically have to play their entire first album. <laughs> Everybody gets to have some solo time. Of course, Steve Howe can really go out there and do it a long time because he's got all sorts of things to choose from. But everybody gets some solo time. And then a, a worked-up Midnight Sun, which would, of course, appear on the second album, Alva, but uh, hadn't been released yet. And it was, uh, I don't know, it, it was cool that... At some point during that original tour, all four of them would come because Jeff had this amazing keyboard array. And, and during Midnight Sun, at some point, each of them would be, all of them together would be on one of Jeff's keyboards. So all four yeah. of them are playing that together, which is kind of cool. But because they were all of a sudden hot with heat of the moment, tickets were selling for five and a half dollars. <laughs> you could sit in the second row for five and a half dollars. They were, you know, they were, became the hottest tickets in town. Eventually at the end of the tour, they had to be filling arenas. So they went from two to 4,000 to like 10 to 20 in the matter of just a few months, you know? And I think it's, it's cool that they recorded this um, because at this point in time, it was still probably a fairly expensive undertaking. And if they had not planned to do a live record, uh, I really don't know what the purpose of this was, but I'm glad they did it because it was cool to hear this in kind of its infancy, you know, 11 shows in, in the, I mean, in the band's history. Mm-hmm. Not like, oh, this is, you know, this tour, we've done this so many times. No, I mean, these guys had played for years in other bands, but together this was still in its infancy. So I do like the fact that, but I mean, you can even tell, even on this show, they're all tight. I mean, they, they play really well together. They are tight. And that's called being a professional musician. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, so, I mean, they're not doing big stadiums. They're doing theaters and they're not doing a two hour set. They're trying to squeeze out an hour and a half somehow, you know? Right. Although I don't, well, I don't know. I, at the beginning, you're probably right. They wouldn't have gone, the crowds probably wouldn't have gone for the catalog stuff, but you never know. That would have been kind of cool for them to to bust out, you know, an old guest tune or something. But yeah, it, it, that just wasn't, the, the crowd that was showing up there was there to see the Asian music, not the back catalog. Right, the MTV, you know, hit you right. quick and fast. Yeah, absolutely. So they, they played them all, but they did not play any of their B-sides, which they would later on some of these discs and we'll get into that i think it sounds cleaner than the buffalo two disker that you know they, they released over a decade ago i think just from time again jumping out on the first song good rhythm and tempo when jeff was a little drowned out at first but steve was on in this show you know john had his rumbling bass to there boom boom boom, yeah. boom boom he was really coming through maybe the backing vocals were a little bit weak but to me there's some standouts on it i mean cutting it fine stands out really well to me and, and his solo fades back into it with the band there's some standouts on here for sure how about you yeah i i, I think it sounds really good my my only the the down part on this one is is heat of the moment he's kind of misses a couple of the high notes there but again, this is live stuff. Right. They, they probably, if this was going to be a, a an official release, they probably would have gone in there and cleaned that up. But it, it was it was interesting to me to hear how it would have sounded then. Mm-hmm. And I don't know as a if you're a singer, you've got to have I guess monitors in your ear. But how do you hit those high notes? How do you know that you're up there in the register you need to be? I, I don't know. So it could have been that he was tired. It could have been something was off. But I mean, it still sounded good. And it really sounded like you were at the show. Well, that's true. Yeah, for sure. But then there were some rough moments, too. Like, only time will tell. 
you know, great beginning, but Jeff wasn't that great in the mix in that. And then there was an odd fade. Like it was, just, it was just kind of over, you know, it's like, well, okay, maybe that really is a bootleg. You know, maybe he stepped on it or, uh, you know, maybe he dropped it on the ground and we had to cut after that. You know, I don't know. But although Soul Survivor, I thought was very strong. Yeah. And Soul Survivor is yeah, one of the ones you'll hear on all five, right? It, we, we had talked uh, in our KISS shows in the past about Alive and that was a huge record and that was famously not really live they mm -hmm. went in and cleaned it up and I think there are a lot of quote-unquote live records where that happens so again I, I kind of I really like this thing you know kind of hearing the warts and all and in, in 1982 and then again in 83 I'm sure the sound the way that it was put together the way that it was recorded I don't know what kind of budget they had to do this so it, it was interesting to me to hear more of a live record than a kind of a studio cleanup version. No, this is them at a moment in time, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Correct. It's the real thing. It's their first tour together. It's their 11th show. Yeah. Um, and I had a thing called Quadra that I bought years ago. It was kind okay. of an unofficial, official live release that had a Pittsburgh show, which is maybe a week before this on it. It included the Worcester Mass, which is the next two discs. And then it had, um, I think it had either one from Detroit, from Pine Knob in Detroit there that was kind of brief, if I'm not mistaken. But it was kind of all original band. So I'm wondering if maybe Pittsburgh is in the next, if they do a volume two, you know, would they pick that as the next of the 1982 tour? To include on that. Yeah. I mean, which you think you would, why would you call this volume one if your plan wasn't to put out more of these? Right. I mean, it's called volume one for a reason, right? I would think. And from my sources in the industry, because, you know, I'm pretty well connected over here Correct. in London, Jerry, is that there there is going to be another release next year. Now, I don't okay. know if that's going to be Bootlegs volume two. What I think a lot of Asia fans would hope for in 2022 is a 40th anniversary release of Asia. But according to Jeff Downs in Classic Rock magazine, those masters may have been lost in the universal fire that ate up so many masters whenever that was 15 years ago. Oh, yeah, that would be that that would make sense. And that would be horrible because, yes, a 40th anniversary of that would be really something people. I mean, if you're, if you're into this, you want that. For sure, man. Yeah, and you can get a lot of people to buy that. Four million people in the U.S. bought that thing the first time around. Ten million worldwide. People will buy that, and you can throw some of these in there. You can throw other weird missing things in there or whatever. And then guess what? Alpha's 40th is the next year. So get on the boat with <laughs> us here, Jeff. You know, forget all that yes nonsense, you know? You know what the fans <laughs> want. Let's go. All right, so, and then yeah, Soul Survivor was great, but it had an odd cut into Heat of the Moment, and it was the shortest uh, of all the Heat of the Moments, I think, on here. Good, pretty tight, but it was a little short compared to the way they will start to stretch it out, which we can talk about here as we get into the Worcester show. At the Centrum, in, and now, do you know, okay, this I'm not familiar with the Centrum. How big is this place? Is this is this more of an arena, or is this more of a of a smaller venue? I would imagine that it was this would have been a bigger place in 83, because now we're in the next, now we're on the Alpha Tour. Concerts, 14,800. So, okay, so, so a, a the fairly decent it's an arena. I mean, yeah. yeah, correct, correct. So now we've got a now we've got a uh, another disc or another album under their belt. So they've got a whole nother stock to pick from. Right, right. So now they can do a full show if they really want to, and, and as they did, and now they are the headliner for sure. And they they had a pretty special stage because if you thought Jeff had a big keyboard rig on the first. <laughs> 
tour. <laughs> Second tour, he had 28. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records. And I don't even know if that includes the guitar, which you would come out and play on Heat of the Moment, which would make it 29. But you know, I, I, I think, you know, and so his riser was above Carl's drum riser. Yeah. And they all tend to wear white together to kind of give them the same kind of look. Very 80s thing to do. But then, yeah, this one is in, uh, in Worcester. Again, I think that this sound on here is a little rougher than the Buffalo one. Like, like, like this is definitely in the audience. This is a mic in the audience, unless they put a mic in the audience and ran it back to the, back to the board. But yeah, I mean, this, I don't know. It's a little rougher, but the, I think the band is really good together. The vocals could be a little bit better, but but you can really hear the crowd clapping and saying yeah and stuff like that on here a little bit more than you could on the first one. Yeah, and so I wonder if this was if this was a a conscious decision or was this kind of something that they they had recorded for some other purpose other than to put it out live? Because you're right, it does sound like it's they could have done it a lot better. The mics were not a hundred percent, and the, and the, you're right, the crowd noise was a little more present there mm -hmm. in this deal so i i don't know what this again i don't know what this the purpose of this recording was to begin with in 1983 yeah and and i just i feel like it took them a while maybe to get the sound right from the board too even if this wasn't through the board but just to get the sound right for the hall because like on he goes on I, it's well done but how's little tinny and that's usually not the case but Jeff was was sounding better, and I think by the fourth song, Eye to Eye, it was kind of sorted. Still feels like it, it's bootlegged. But then Only Time Will Tell was tight. Like, might be the yeah. best, might be the best Only Time Will Tell that they do out of the five. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds like by that point in time, they had gotten it rolling. And, and it, this is, a, I mean, it's a great song. I mean, I know that, I know it wasn't a big hit. But it's still pretty cool. I love that. Every time it comes on the radio, I crank that thing up. <laughs> the, the, I mean, it just, it, it just, it's almost like I don't even think about it. Like all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, the radio is really loud. Oh, it's right. Only time will tell. Fantastic. Yeah, that that keyboard beginning to it is very 80s. Very. But it's also we were talking before about the 40th, you know, released the 40th anniversary of the original Asia album. There are people that have no idea who this is. They have no, I've no, I don't know Asia. Never, oh yeah, I love that song. Of course you do, because yes. you've heard it a million times. And you'll hear, here comes the feeling. Hey, I didn't know that. It's pretty good. Like yes, I know. <laughs> it is. I'm trying to tell you this for years. <laughs> But no, I think I think Jeff upped his solo game. Look, when they first went out, everybody gets solo time. Jeff's not really used to that. Uh, that's not something he'd always done, have this big yeah. soloing in songs, but not like, hey, all eyes on Jeff. So the other guys will go chill out. And I think he did up his game a, a bit there. I thought Don't Cry was good. And it's and it goes and he, and John even spoke about the theme of eyes on the on the new record because they do open their eyes, which is great, and Smile has left your eyes is obviously a big hit for them and uh and then don't cry is something you do with your eyes so that was kind of the, a theme of alpha and he mentioned it right there yeah i'm trying to was the smiles left your eyes was that a single it was yeah okay okay because i remember because it, it sounded very singly to me and if it if it was not then it was on the it was on the radio a lot i just remember that song that was one of those ones that i forgot was off of alpha i get the first two records confused a lot because they came out so close to each other and, and a lot of it sounds it doesn't sound the same but it almost sounds like it a lot of this could have been one record or a double record right i mean yeah they, they were made pretty close together and yeah and they famously talk about how they were forced in by David Geffen. Geffen. Yes, but Geffen yeah. Records, maybe not David himself. Yeah. 
<laughs> he had John Kalodner do it, I'm sure, but they kind of forced them into the studio and they didn't really have time to, to develop. So, of course, yeah, you're going to get a lot of something similar there. Well, plus, I listened to them both back to back a lot, too. Yeah. Uh, along with the first uh, B sides from that era. But yeah, no, it's also on here. Here Comes the Feeling is big and it includes Carl Solo again. And look, Carl's great and he is rock solid throughout all this. I think he's underrated as a drummer. I think he brings a lot to Asia, really drives it home, but he also creates a lot of space for both Steve and Jeff to be able to get out there and and do their thing. But it's like 15 minutes of Here Comes the Feeling plus Carl's so I'm like, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot for me, guys. You know, <laughs> John's needs a break. Yeah, you guys hit it. I'm gonna rest my voice. Yeah, uh, but you're right though. I think if you listen to, especially if you listen to Heat of the Moment, that his drumming is. I would categorize it as Spartan. So maybe you think to yourself, eh, you know, he's just an average, you know, he's, he could just laying down the beat back there. But yeah, when he gets into the solo part, wait a minute. But then you remember like the, the Emerson Lake and Palmer stuff was pretty complicated. Pretty intricate, yeah. So he was, he, a lot of the times he was, he was, uh, he, he, you're right. He was creating space for the others to play, but yeah, underrated drummer, just really a guy who can, fill stuff out when he needs to the sound and it was really cool to hear him play just kind of let it loose absolutely yeah and they do stretch out heat of the moment a little bit now now they realize okay this really is a show closer we can yeah. do more than the three and a half minutes or whatever it is you know we can we can stretch this out as a way to say goodbye i noticed that steve was doing a lot of the talking during the breaks and I don't know if that's to save John's voice because now he has to do the full show and he's really the only lead singer. Or he's like, I'm Steve Howe and I'm a big deal and leader of this band and I will be telling people what's going on with us. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either because it, it, he doesn't do that. He, like he doesn't do it at all in the Tokyo show. So I think maybe you're right. Maybe it's like that. Hey, man, I need you to take the, the crowd work here because I'm feeling maybe the voice could come out on come out from under me here. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to do as little as possible other than sing these songs. I don't know. Uh, yeah. You know, who knows? But I mean, they, they're working together there, you know, and it's good to hear stuff like the last to know. Right. That was on Alpha. It's the only show that you hear the last to know on uh, mm-hmm. we do you hear midnight sun again after this yes it was on the first one but it hadn't been recorded yet steve does valley of rocks in his solo and he may do clap every time but he doesn't do that every time so it's got some really good moments on here that's for sure the 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 audio is not the best i mean it's probably fifth out of five but the performance mm-hmm. itself is uh is pretty good and don't cry is good that's the first time we hear don't cry obviously and Don't Cry is, is obviously a staple, and it's something they can mix up a lot. This is pretty true to the radio, Don't Cry. Yeah, and and I – what I, I mean, of course, in my thinking, I want you to, this show to go on forever and for you to play all the songs that you played last time plus the new ones. And and it's interesting to see what, what stays and what goes on these things as they as, – as you get more content, you're going to have to get rid of some things. So it's interesting to see the, the, how the uh, – the set list changes mm-hmm. and it, you know, again, you've got to keep it interesting for the band too. You can't just play the same songs in the same order or they would go insane. But I'm trying to remember exactly when like the, the problems in the band started, you know, famously that Asia and Asia mm-hmm. show John went was not a part of. And so to hear that, which is three together, months after this, by the way. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, three and a I half, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. They, they basically finished the tour and Steve, was like, that's it. 
he's a drunken idiot and I'm not working with him and he's out. And they, and they went and got Greg Lake at great expense. And Greg's a little flippant about it now. He's like, oh, Geffen offered me so much money I couldn't turn it down. And then he goes, why didn't you continue with it, Greg? He's like, oh, it's that corporate rock. I didn't want to be part of that. I'm like, whatever, dude. I've heard you in Tokyo with Asia and you sucked in Asia, man. You, your voice was not good. In Asia, you might be a rock star in your own right, but you know, you're not, no, go away. So, you know, but so yeah, so this is one of the final shows. This tour was the last time they played together for 23 years because, right, yeah, because, yeah, because the tensions were starting to build up. Like you said, they really didn't want to, it's not that they didn't want to make the record, but I don't think they wanted to make it that quick. You know, other, other things were happening, other problems. So yeah, to, to get this part of the, uh, the catalog live is, is interesting too, because the, this was not going to happen for another 20 years. Right. Yeah. You know, because then, okay, they do the tour. It's not just that one show, Asia in Asia, which they broadcast on MTV, but they did a tour of Japan, which I think made them a lot of money, but it didn't work with Greg Lake musically, maybe not personality wise either. So then Clodner's like, all right, let's get, let's get back together with John Wet. John Wetton's like, fine, I'll come back, but you got to get rid of Steve Howe. <laughs> so that's what they did. They continued on with Mandy Moore. No, wait, Mandy Meyer. <laughs> Mandy. Mandy Moore. Okay. Your name's Mandy. That's a strike. <laughs> One, why you didn't work in Asia. But anyway, Mandy, I'm sorry. I'm sure you're not listening. But yes, so then and then that the was the collapse of now. Asia. But we did see a little bit from Astra eventually on these shows, which surprised yes. me a little bit. We'll get into that later. But I guess that would conclude discs three and four. And then, yeah, we march forward to 2007. And I give them credit that they didn't include the Tokyo show from 2007 because it's one they, they released and called Fantasia Live in Tokyo. It, it was when they had just, they were coming back on tour, they wanted to celebrate their 25th. They did not have a record deal, so they're like, all right, well, we'll go out and tour as original Asia. We'll drum up some steam and some spirit, and we'll get a record contract that way. And that was released as a DVD and a CD. The CD was included in earlier this year, I think it was in May or so, they released a new clamshell box set of original Asia the reunion years. So it had Phoenix, Omega, and Triple X along with that as the live album, along with just like this, some original Roger Dean artwork. Now none of that was new as far as the music goes, but but it was it was that time for the band. And I figured they would stick it in here too, but they didn't, which I'm happy about. This is from Sao Paulo, Brazil, and it was actually the end of that tour. They did a tour in like 2006, 2007, and they wound up in Sao Paulo. So it's the final night of the tour. And all right away, it's like the sound and the mix is so much clearer and the band sound so good at this show. And now we're getting into a little bit of the funkiness here. We're getting a little... We're getting a little more friendly with everybody, and mm-hmm. we're putting other stuff on here, which I thought was really cool. I had never heard this before. You know, Me neither. We, we get yeah, we get roundabout. Okay, that's pretty. That's interesting. We've got uh, let's see what Court of the Crimson King, right? Uh, video killed the radio star. I think we had. Do we have? Yeah, fanfare for the common man. So yeah, it, it was cool to hear. This is pretty much well. Maybe not in 82, but if we could, okay, if we could go back to 82 right now, we would want to hear this stuff because these are really cool songs that they were a part of. That's right. And and, and I know when they went into, when they, I saw the track listing for Video Kills the Radio Star. I'm like, all right, well, the buggles, you got to put that in there. But that actually really worked. I really like that. Wetton did the, he had the 
the effect where he was talking through like a megaphone, kind of like that, you know, and then instead of OEO, he plays it on the guitar instead of somebody vocalizing that. Mm -hmm. The the intro part, I thought it worked. I I thought that might have even been Jeff saying it through the keyboard, kind of like Peter Frampton speaks through his guitar. Oh, okay. It could, yeah. It it just, the whole thing just worked, even though he, even though Trevor Horn was the original vocalist. Right. John did a good job working with it. Yeah. Absolutely, and he he served roundabout. He's nowhere near John Anderson's register, right. um, but but it sounded good. And uh, yeah, again, it was like, and they picked. I think they picked the right four, to be honest yeah. with you, to, to represent each of their bands. You know, it, it it all made sense. Yeah, absolutely. Now John is doing most of the talking, right? And and, and Carl's doing a, a little bit. I, I think the background singing comes through much better. On, on this one than versus the past. And that's obviously because it's going straight through the board. Mm-hmm. And I like the, I like Don't Cry now that they did the acoustic version again. You've heard this song a million times and here's something a little bit different. Okay, I, I don't really want to hear it exactly how it would be on the record. Let's let's throw something a little bit different at me. Yeah, and maybe if it doesn't sound quite right live when you're plugged in versus what it was like in the studio, then absolutely mix it up. And you got a little mandolin from Hal, I think, and acoustic from John Wetton. That's that's great. Back to Roundabout real quick, though. I, I thought Wetton was good on the vocals. I thought I noticeably could say, all right, he may be a good bass player, but he's no Chris Squire. Well, <laughs> yeah, well yeah, you're right. He's not. But Chris Squire wasn't singing lead either, so relax. I, I, know, I know, I know. But it's like, I could, okay, it's like this is obviously not Chris, but yes, we're honoring the song and Steve getting his right. part in, yes. <laughs> So that's, you want that's a yes good. song? Here's your Maybe yes. Maybe it was song. a little slower. I don't know. You know. <laughs> I thought by the time they got to without you, finally the the vocals were tight and and the backups with them, kind of yeah. all in harmony was good. And I thought finally there was good sonic balance between Steve and Jeff because they're both kind of in that middle register. And sometimes Steve sounds really good, and to me Steve sounds great on this. Sometimes Jeff is off or Jeff is too fat in there. And I thought that was when it was finally clean. Well, that's the thing that stinks too about the vocal. The vocals are a an instrument. Yes. Right. I mean, it's part of the sound. But if you've got a guitar, if you got a keyboard or a bass or drums or anything, you can tune it. Right. You go. You go to the beginning. Of the, okay. If it's in tune, it's in tune. Let's go. The voice. You've been working with it. You know, it, it could take a little time to get warmed up. And and I think uh, I was looking at Twitter the other day, and Nad from uh, from uh, Steve Hackett's band mm-hmm. said something like, "Yeah, it takes a couple of shows to get everything dialed in." I mean, sure. and then if it's you know if it's cold out or whatever, like you just don't. It, it's not a. It's a precision deal, and it's it's way more fickle than an actual musical instrument. Yeah, and this is the last night of the tour, you know, so now it's all warmed up, it's humming along, it's mm-hmm. it's doing great, you know, and, and everyone seems to be in a good mood, I, I, everyone seems to be on, only time will tell has some nice stuff from Carl, I think like at the beginning he's on some timpanis or something like that, mm-hmm. it was right after they do Heat Goes On, and then now his solo's part of that, instead of uh, Here Comes the Feeling, which is out, but now I think that's kind of part of Jeff's solo time which they kind of start to call bolero but anyway you, you know like he was all jazzed up after his big long solo and now he's adding little things on the only time will tell <laughs> but the fact that then they come back out with ride easy which is a slow and sweet song and they, they they bring it down a little bit and they talk about how this song how much this song means to them but they hadn't been playing it obviously because it was a, a b-side uh, to break it out here and to give it some reverence uh, 
I think that's pretty. Uh, it's, I think it's very well done. Yeah, and then, and then to close with heat of the moment again, you know that's the big one. You know you're going to hear it. They're not going to not play it. So it is. It is kind of interesting to hold that till the end, the big one. Mm-hmm. And so you know, and I think I'm pretty sure they even did that back in, in when we saw them in '92. They held that to the end. They had yeah. the beginning part, and then they brought Steve Howe in. Then he did some stuff. He did his solo, and then they went into like more of the classic stuff. So it is kind of cool. Like they do that at the beginning. And you're kind of like, oh, well, all right, what else have we got for me? You already exactly. kind of blew me out on the. Yeah, Jeff gets to stuff. hop around with his guitar with Steve yes. and John and yeah. stuff and get out from back there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it was good, but I think John wanted four more bars and the other guys weren't really ready for it. And he's like, one more time. <laughs> and they kind of, they kind of went through it a little bit. But but they stretch it out. Look, I, this might be the best of the five shows as far as the sound of it was great. And they were all just kind of on and in good mood, just hitting on all cylinders. Brought in some classics too. I don't know if it's my favorite set list. That would probably be from, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. To me, this might just be the high water mark of the five. Yeah, and, and like you were saying before, this was kind of like a, an official, unofficial deal. They didn't have a new record out. They hadn't worked together in a while, so it was kind of like, you know, seeing your old friends, and let's just go out to do it to do it. We don't have anything to promote. Right. So it, it was interesting to see that. Yeah, that, I think people are ready now for us to throw in the classics. They People that would show up to see this would now be fans of the other bands that we were in, so we can we can include some of it. And yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think this was the, the best sounding. I think they had the most energy. I think the next one may suffer a little bit from the crowd, I think. Well, look, here's the thing. They they hadn't been together in so long. They finally get back together. They don't have a record contract. Like, Let's go out. You think there'll be people who want to do it? What can we do? Well, we can tour Japan. Oh, that went well. Let's go to the U.S. Oh, it went well. In- Let's go to South America. Let's go more U.S. Day. And then by the end, they're like, yeah, this is working. This is going to work. We're going to get a record deal. You know, this is all going to happen. But that's in May. That's I'm sorry, in March of 2007. And then in May of 2008, they've made a new, they got their record contract. They made the record. They're out on tour and they're back in Tokyo. And so they might have been a little worn out. Could have been. Yeah. I mean, you're, well, and that's the, we've talked about this before too. Like you kind of have these, these thoughts of, hey, I, I mean, I've been on tour before. I know how to do this. This is no problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 20 years ago, you were on these big tours. Yeah, now you're, you know, you're 20 years older. Yeah, maybe you don't, you know, it's not, uh, you, you've forgotten kind of the grind of it. I don't know. And then, you know, to go all over the world to do this, it does take a toll on you. And I remember I saw that when the police did their reunion tour, mm-hmm. they had a really good a really clear version of it from somewhere in Japan. It was like, everybody's sitting down. I mean, right. they're very polite. They're very into it, but it's like, they're not, this is not a crowd I'm used to seeing. And I remember reading comments and people were like, yeah, that's just, that's just Japanese society. They're more polite. They're not like the rest of us animals. But again, <laughs> if you're performing, does that kind of lose something when you're like, no, I want these people up and exactly. jumping around and screaming and holding up signs and yeah. all that kind of stuff. I, I agree with you. Totally. So, Although the, the one that came out from 2006 or seven was good, but then again, we, they're on that first tour again. They're excited to be out and doing right. it together again and finding their sound together. It's cool they open with Daylight, the B-side to... Is Daylight the B-side to Only Time Will Tell, or is it the B-side to Don't Cry? I don't know off the top of my head. Right. Anyway, it, it's one of three B-sides from the first two albums. 
Yeah, it, it is cool because again, I don't see this anywhere else on here. I don't know when else they played this. May, I don't, maybe never. I don't know. But yeah, it is cool to to have other, other uh, tracks pulled out of the vault. Was that on some kind of Japanese deal? And so maybe it would have resonated better there. I don't know. But to see that on the set list is interesting. Again, they're trying to change it up. They're trying to get more, they're trying to put more content in there that you haven't seen. Well, yeah, and if you're a fan of of the first two albums, I mean, it was one of the B-sides to one of the singles, and I feel like it was Don't Cry. Okay. Or it was at least on Alpha, because I think the two, Ride Easy was one of the B-sides. I'm fairly certain it was the A, it was the B-side to Heat of the Moment. Plus, it was on the tape, if you bought the tape, allegedly, in 1982. That was the bonus track for buying the cassette or the CD if they made them that far back, uh, but not on the LP. And then the other song was Lying to Yourself, which was a Hal Wetton composition. And I don't think Steve Howe and John Wetton wrote anything together for the second album. Well, if if Wetton wanted him out of the band, probably not. (laughs) Yeah, it looks like Daylight was the B-side to Don't Cry. It was. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah, see, I know stuff. That's why I host this little show with my friend Action Jackson. (laughs) And I thought it was good, Daylight. Then Only Time Will Tell, you put that up second. Now that's mixing it up a little bit. If that's your second biggest hit or maybe third, putting that right up number two is is a way to go, but it keeps the energy going, huh? Yeah, and then again, if you you go into Wildest Dreams, that's another one. You're going to recognize that from the back catalog. So yeah, a a strong way to start that off. I don't know. I mean, again, I don't know if that Daylight sold better in Japan. I don't know why they did that, but it was interesting that they put it in there and an interesting way to start the set. Yeah, because you never know. It's got to be tough. You don't want to go out too hot. You want to have something that people would know, right? I don't know, because you're not gonna. There are times when he introduces the stuff, like you know, here's the song off our blah 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 record, and you may recognize this. But the first one, you're not gonna get that. The first one, you go right into. So either you're gonna get it or you're not. Hopefully, you like it. It was, of course, on Aurora. It was an EP that was released, I think, in around 1986. That had the three B sides and uh, one more song from Astra. That I think it was also a B side, but it was on the record, and it was called Aurora because they wanted to call it Arcadia. But the Duran Duran spinoff band, Arcadia, was, cha- was their name was Arcadia. So they're like, okay, we can't call it Arcadia. We call it Aurora. And that's a little bit of deep Asian knowledge for you guys out there. There you go. And now you know. And now you know, because everybody wanted to, right? <laughs> Please check out this word from our sponsors. Oh, wait. We don't have any sponsors. <laughs> but, though, but then they go into Never Again, which is a, a song off of Phoenix, the album they made. And it fit in... Well, I thought it, it, it sounded good, at good tempo. You could tell they had good energy on it, like they're excited to play something new, and it, it fit in very well. Yeah, and it, it, it's cool that band that had been around that long and had so much back catalog stuff would go ahead and put out a new record. I know that that's people are on the fence about doing that now. These these classic bands, you know, why should I? Why should I put out new new material when you really only want to hear the classic stuff? But I think if you've got songs to still sing, I, I welcome new material. I want to hear what else you've got to work on. Yeah, and Asia, it's not like they had 12 albums together. They had two, mm-hmm. right? So it's like we, we broke up before we should have. We, we didn't really get the fair chance that we got, so let's go ahead and put something together between us. And, and yeah, and Never Again fits in. And then they go into to Roundabout, and I gotta say, some of these, because they do the exact same four songs from their old bands as they did the last tour. And so maybe Roundabout and Fanfare and Video Killed the Radio Star and, and those 
Court of the Crimson King, which is kind of a downer anyway. Maybe, especially to people just sitting on their hands like they're in Japan, those those four seemed a little weak. And they didn't switch any of them out. You know, they didn't bring us any new songs from there. So maybe that's part of it, too. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, all of those, I mean, you're right. All of the bands, well, maybe except for the Buggles, had, you know, plenty of stuff to pick from. You know, you could have thrown in a different track from every one of those bands. So, yeah, maybe maybe that was it, that it was just not not fresh enough for you on this one. Maybe so. But it just kind of, eh, just kind of, eh. <laughs> and, of course, we get Time Again, which, you know, was the first one they wrote together. And it's all, all five of them, I do believe. But you go into Bolero, which is basically Jeff's solo time. And now it incorporates part of Here Comes the Feeling, because they're not mm-hmm. doing Here Comes the Feeling anymore. So you can kind of put that in there as well. But then they go into an acoustic set. And John comes up with an acoustic guitar. And Jeff maybe sits out or he plays on the piano. And, and Carl kind of keeps it low or gets out the, maybe even gets out the brushes a little bit. But, you know, uh, Steve does clap in his acoustic bit. John does Voice of America by himself, which right. yeah, okay. when I yeah. saw it, I'm like, there's no way Steve played on Voice of America. And then, because Steve doesn't like to play on songs that are from his bands that he didn't play on. Right. Um, so, but no, it's acoustic. It's just John by himself. And, and it's good. And and then when they go to the Smiles After Your Eyes, which is next, you got a quiet piano from Jeff. Steve's acoustic. Carl's nice and quiet. And then they do Ride Easy in the acoustic as well. So nice little acoustic bit in the middle there. Right. Yeah, and 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 it it works again. We're changing some stuff up, and it is it is a nice change of pace when you you can, I don't know, like you kind of feel like you get a little more out of the show if they change it up. Like they're not just kind of rushing through everything. It's mm-hmm. not just you know you get a little bit of because I mean I don't know when I go to a show I don't want you to I don't want to feel like you're kind of rushing me out the door. I want to feel like you know we have like I like when they call it an evening with whoever. And you're kind of, you know, maybe you tell me a little story, maybe, exactly. you, you know, you intro the band, you kind of have a little bit of a, you do a little crowd work and yeah, to change it up with the acoustic set. Okay. Give me something new that I can, uh, I haven't heard before. And it probably helps John Wetton's voice. I mean, especially on something like the smiles left your eyes. Right. If you can do that over a, you know, a slight piano versus trying to, you know, sing it over Carl's drums and the other two in the mid range, like trying to outduel each other, that it's probably yeah. pretty Helpful. So yeah, and then you can just sit up there and then come back for the second part and you get into stuff like open your eyes and, and again, fanfare for the common man is going eh to me the second time around. <laughs> but he introduces An Extraordinary Life, which is again, this is a new song and he talked about being a song of promise and the value of life. And it sounded great, you know. And there's got a little backup in there. It, it sounds really good. Yeah, and I and I like the fact that he introed that because again, you may at that point in time, did you have the record? I don't know, you know. But it kind of gets you in the space of I I know what I'm getting now. I can kind of prepare myself instead of one of those like, wait, what is this? What what's going on here? And then maybe halfway through, oh, okay, I see. I understand what song they're playing now. I like the I like the intro. The mm-hmm. kind of get yourself ready for what you're gonna get into. Yeah. So I mean, it fit in well. They didn't do too much of the new one they're, because now they're doing stuff from the first two albums plus four songs from Legacy Bands. Plus, you put in a couple more. All right, well, you know, it, it, we're starting to stretch out the set. I mean, 11, I mean, 21 songs 
in this set list, that's good. I mean, they, you know, for men of their age and all the stuff yeah. they're doing, the 21 songs is good. After they do some of the legacy songs and then the heat goes on, which now features Carl's big solo. Um, solo. Yeah, um, that, now you're going to close the show out with the with the big hits. The big hits. Starting with Heat of the Moment. Yes. Uh, so yeah. Not closing with Heat. Only one, and this may be the only tour they ever did where they didn't close with Heat of the Moment. But you go in from that, you go into Don't Cry, and then I like. I mean, I like Soul Survivor. I think it's a. I think it's kind of one of their underrated, I guess, hits. And it's nice to hear that. And yeah, it is nice to have a. I don't know if you've been to the shows before. Maybe you thought you know Heat of the Moment was the last one, but then they're going to throw some other stuff at you. That was pretty cool. Nice change up. They do change it up, and see, that's what I. Was they, they, they changed it up. I thought the intro was weak. The, Steve's intro just sounded weak to me. Maybe it's because they had to tune, make it lower because the crowd's just sitting there looking at them. But I, I just thought it was all of it. And then I said all of it, it was kind of bad. It must be tough if you're doing heat of the moment and you're trying to get people to clap along and they're just kind of staring at you. That must be tough. But, but then Don't Cry was not acoustic, but it wasn't the huge rocked out version of Don't Cry. It's like yeah. yet another version of Don't Cry. Yeah, and, and that's got to be, to do it as you would on the record, that's a lot. So yeah, to kind of tune it down a little bit, and I'd rather I'd rather have you, if you can't or don't really want to do it the, the full pull, I'd rather have you kind of adjust it a little bit and give it to me a little bit differently than this on either the energy or the, the high notes. Yeah, you know, and, and he, look, John plays his role on this one, you know, does a good job. Soul Survivor, it's one of the five times you get it. I think I think the la- I think the last Soul Survivor may be a little bit tired. Not this one, but <laughs> I mean, you can really hear him belt it out on the first one, and it's a big, mm-hmm. it's kind of a hit for them. And then by the end, I just think hold those notes because if you're ready for it, so, so but if you're tired, it's like so, so <laughs> you know, it's like oh. so you know, it's it's probably the one that's a little less fun to play to sing anyway. Maybe not to play, but to sing. I'm just guessing. <laughs> and to have that be at the end too you know you kind of already I mean you were exactly you're tired from play. the night yeah yeah because <laughs> it's one of the the fours that you uh, that you get all five times mm-hmm. but yeah I mean I, I'm, I'm with you there Jackson the crowd I think hurts the sound the, the acoustic part came off well Probably because that's when you want the crowd to kind of sit still and be quiet, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But but you're right. In order to in order to get into the big stuff at the end, yeah, you need them. You need that. You need to get re-energized. Mm-hmm. And if the crowd's not giving it to you, it, that's got to be tough. And I know I've heard that before from other people. You know, when they go on these huge tours, and you say, "Okay, you know, it's show, you know, thirty-five, and we're out in the middle of nowhere. I'm not feeling it." You know, you let the crowd. Okay, the crowd's picking me up. The crowd is. It's going to propel me, and if that's if you're not getting that, that's rough. It's got to be rough. Absolutely, and I, I think it does come through. So, although the, the sound quality is good, <laughs> the performance was definitely affected by I think the crowd. And uh, well, that's just my opinion. Clear, crisp, yeah. but not their greatest performance of these. Five. Right, and it, it, it does. It does really sound like there's almost no one there. Mm-hmm. But again, I it, it, I think it's a combination of the way it was recorded and the just the overall feeling there. Definitely. All right. Well, that's that's the fourth show in Tokyo, Japan, from May of 2008. The fifth show's two and a half years later, wrapping up in London in the UK, 14 December 2010. So almost 11 years. Uh, as we're recording this, Jackson, um, and it's a, I, I'd never heard this before. I, I'd never heard this one, 
And I, I think it's a really good way to uh, to wrap it up. Yeah, it's nice that it's it's in the UK, kind of back home for everybody. I, I don't know. It may, it makes me it kind of makes me sad because this was the last one, and I, I don't know exactly how much they recorded after this. I know Wet and died in 2017, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2017. So, and I think I saw something recently with Jeff Downs saying that he he's got some material that they maybe had worked on. Uh, he right. went and worked on. So, I mean, we may get more stuff from them from him. I don't know, but yeah, I, I think if you were going to close it out this first volume, this was a kind of a cool way to do it. To have someplace like this, not no offense to anybody that lives out in the middle of nowhere, but not a middle of nowhere show. <laughs> Well, that's right. I mean, look, they're a lot more popular in America than they are in the UK, but they want to be, you know, do good shows at home, obviously. And it's right before the holidays, right? It's 14th of December. Even says, you know, Merry Christmas to everybody on there to have a yeah. good Christmas. And it's great to be able to, yeah, you have to tour the world. Great. But if it gets to the end of the year, let's wind up at home. And then I'm at home at the end of the year. And you yeah. see a lot of that here uh, in England, of course, in North America as well. But this is a real change. Okay. So the, the change in the, in between 2007, and 2008 is that they're now doing some new material and they take a break to do this acoustic bit uh, in the middle and they do two new songs versus you know everything else is is legacy either of their band or others now they've got a second album out and they did record triple x after this jackson in 2012 and they toured on that triple x for 30 as in we you know it's 30 years since the beginning and so hopefully we'll get some of that stuff maybe in a volume two and then they made an album Gravitas after that without Steve Howe. We had a kid named Sam Colson come in and, and play. And he was good because Steve was was balancing Yes and Asia. And then he's like, I can't do both anymore. And so he, he stuck with Yes. In fact, they were touring together. And a lot of times he would play the opening act and the main act. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that had to be a big, big ask from him at that point in yeah. time. That's a lot of stage time. Right, yeah. You know, so he's like, all right, if I can do one or the other, I'll take the bigger act. I'll take yes. And and Jeff yeah. was even doing it too. And uh, so, uh, But now they're, they've got two albums worth of music out at this point. So they're going to say, let's take out the legacy stuff. No one came to see us play Court of the Crimson King, you know. Let's mm-hmm. play more Asia stuff. And so they play a lot more stuff off of Omega, and, and some of it really does fit in really well. I mean, it, it, it's them, it's classic Asia. There's not a ton of stuff from Steve Howe, but there's some. There's a bit, um, because most of it was Wet and Downs, and I think, you know, on the on the previous album, Steve contributed some songs, but he wrote them by himself, whereas, you know, he, he wrote with John again, I think, finally, on Omega, which is which is kind of cool, because they were the two who put the band together in the first place. Yeah, and you kind of want to hear the... The original, the sauce is never as good as it is not with the original people. So to have that back again, yeah, that's, I believe that that's the way to, that's the way to do it. That's, that's the purest sound from the band. So that, that was good to hear. And yeah, I mean, by this point in time, you're right. They didn't need the legacy stuff anymore. And so it was, it was kind of cool. Like to hear, to hear that again, a third time would have been mm-hmm. like, eh, okay, we got that. So it was cool that they changed it up and, and gave us this performance with, with all, yeah, with all of the Asia stuff on there, both the new stuff and the, and their catalog. Yeah, absolutely. And they come out firing with, I believe like their new single, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, you got to have some confidence to do that. You know, it, it, I, I was just going to say that. Yeah. I mean, if you've got new stuff that you, that you feel good about, yeah. Lead with that. Don't bury that. Say, this is why we're here. So you're going to hear the, you're going to hear the hits. You're going to hear the classic stuff, but this, this is the new stuff that we're proud of. We've worked on it. Here you go. Yeah. And it, 
It had, uh, it's very positive, I believe. It's a good vibe, new life. I, I, I thought it was great. And then they back it up again. Only time will tell is number two. So you're keeping that energy up. And it was better than, than the one from, uh, from Tokyo, for sure. It was, mm-hmm. it was a little bit different ending. And I, I liked it. Like, that's, that's cool. I'm, I'm glad they got that back. But then, yeah, hold- trying to- right. <laughs> but then it's right to Holy War, which is another new song. And it's an upbeat song. At least the, the, the rhythm's upbeat, even if lyrics are talking about Holy War, which is not necessarily positive. But you can tell they're glad to play this new stuff. It, it, it's, it's really shining through here. And obviously it's bouncing out with some of the older stuff, too. So although it's not like I got this, I'm like, oh, man, this is the greatest Asia album since Alpha. To hear it now and to hear it with the other stuff, I'm like, yeah, they maybe all 12 new songs weren't awesome, but there are four or five in here that fit in well with the old catalog. And I think it's it's cool to hear a, a show like this because the, it seems like the band's firing on all cylinders. I mean, like you said, they're, they've got new material. They're, they're excited for you to hear it as the crowd, and it's not like a nostalgia act. Exactly. Like, you know, yeah, like when you see, the, when you see something... You see a band that gets back together and they do nothing new. It's all just, you're just running through that. It's a cash grab. I get it. But like, at least pretend like you're you're back together again. Well, they're working for it, right? They're putting yeah. out new records. They're working for it. They're going on a tour. And I can see, like, if you look at this overall set list and you had not seen them on the previous two tours, you might be disappointed that they didn't do more old stuff. But in having the box set and seeing the evolution from here we were when we just got back together to tour, and then here we are at the first album, and then here we are on the second album – I think it's great to hear some new stuff blend in with the old stuff. And Through My Veins is another new one. And Wetton seems psyched about it. And he's psyched that he and Steve wrote it together. Yeah, I think you're right. If, if they had released this as a standalone deal, maybe, eh, eh okay. But to, but you're right to hear it as part of the compilation. Mm-hmm. It, you know, how, how they evolve from, you know, one tour to another is interesting. And I think it fits in well. Taking you on a little bit of a journey here, yeah. And yeah. they could obviously do it again if there's a volume two. There's other things to choose from. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens there. But, you know, he, he finally Steve does some new solo stuff because he, he's been doing clap on all of them for so long. So he did, <laughs> did everyone's favorite Luke Concerto in D major. Second movement, not the first. The second movement by Vivaldi, but um, also did a little in the course of the day as well. Before they go into what I call the eyes section, which is again, don't cry, <laughs> smile has left your eyes and open your eyes. But don't cry, again, it's a little different. It's on the piano this time. No Steve, not acoustic, but it's upbeat and, and clapping. And, and John's voice just is very rich. On this one, I, it, it, of the four versions, it might be my favorite version, man. Yeah, and 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 again, it's a it's a little bit of a change up. You've heard this song a million times. If you've been to the shows, you've you've seen it every time they mm-hmm. played it. So yeah, give me something new, give me something different, change it up a little bit for 2010. Yeah, I like it. I think it works. It's not the same, but it works. No, really good. Really good. And then it's the same on Smiles Left Your Eyes at first, but then they all come in to the end. They all kind of build it and work their way back in, and it's kind of a big triumphant thing at the end. 
which then goes into open your eyes, which is kind of epic. It's like, wow, that's actually really good. Yeah, and, and I like that, you know, that you start off with one person and then everybody shows up. I mean, again, it's it's show. I mean, you don't really, you don't have to do that. You don't have to present it that way, but it is cool because you, you kind of builds and you feel like, yeah, they're back together and we're all here together in this arena. Right. And it's, I like that, yeah. Yeah, no, so it was great. And that, that ends up disc nine. And you come back on disc 10 as part of the show. And, and again, they're pushing new stuff, you know, you got finger on the trigger, which has got a little bit of a heavier riff to it, mm, but it fits. But it I like fits. It. Yeah, it's good stuff. They do time again, which they do every time, and then they do extraordinary life, which to me, if there's a knock on this one, it isn't actually as good as the last one. Like extraordinary life was actually pretty good on the Tokyo show. This one maybe wasn't. Yeah, that would be what just the, the knock I have against this one is that the second time around that wasn't as good. Okay, okay, I, I would agree with you. It, it's not it's not bad, but no, it's, it doesn't have the same energy as the Tokyo show. Yeah, but when they do End of the World, which is one that I didn't really remember very well, I feel like it has more with the vocals, both with John and Steve and Jeff. But I feel like it's a, it's a standout for Wetton. And he was really looking forward to singing it. He sang it well. And it really sounds like this tune was evidence of Asia evolving out of what they were. Because the the first time you you do an album together, first in 20 some odd years, yeah, you're you're feeling around. You might get a couple out of it. But this second album had more. But it's them really coming from 82, 83. Like Steve is great. Jeff is right where he needs to be. Carl is always great. And and I don't know. It's this stood out to me is, is this really does fit in with what they were trying to do back in the day. Mm-hmm. And and it's you can take a you can take some a little more some more chances when you've got you've got some traction. I think that that you know the, they had broken up for a long time, they got back together. Now they're they're kind of firing on all cylinders again as a band. Yeah, you can you can put this together and make it sound new but also like it fits in with the with the catalog stuff. Absolutely you don't want to you don't want to make it exactly sound like that like you're kind of retreading it but kind of like a like a, an evolution. Because I know I hate when bands do that. I hate when they put out a record where they're like, "Wait a minute, you're just trying to sound exactly like you did at the beginning." Right. Which is which is when you know you were the most popular. So yeah, no, I like this. This does it does follow along. It fits in, but it's also new. It's new. Yeah, exactly. You know, because then they do. He goes on. We have to heat the, and, and that's still not my favorite, but you know, they do that four times. I'm not going to not do Heat Goes On, especially once it became, at the end, it becomes Carl's solo once again, and then they, they come back to it. But then, yeah, this is the sole survivor that's a little tired to me. And it's the closer of the show. There's an encore, but it's the close of the show. So in 1982, 83, sole survivor, closer, yeah. But this one was kind of like, yeah. <laughs> it's not bad, but it's not. Yeah. Best. It's just so survive. You know, it's is this is this almost over? Yes. Exactly. Okay, now another refrain. Here we go. And and this is kind of where you it's cool to hear the same song a couple of different ways, but it also kind of it sets you up to do this. Okay, of the how many times that you put this on here, I'm gonna pick my favorite. Mm-hmm. And you're right, this was this was kind of a lackluster performance on this song. I agree. But then they take a little break, and then shockingly shockingly they play go from astra the big single with the big video with astra hopping around in the future and steve's not bad he, he gave it a go not to be silly but um, um, 
but but the power chord part of it I thought was a little weak and that's Steve that's what he's not good at he's good at the intricate part he's good at, at hitting stuff in order in sequence and and even because it goes right into heat afterwards the opening chords of heat are weak to me that's the weak part otherwise I think go is pretty good the non chord parts I thought non power chord things I thought he did fine thought he did well but it's just he's a little neutered on the chords for both these songs. I thought that when when we saw him play that live in '92, I was like, uh, like yeah, that's the those are the notes, but it's not like that. Yeah, it's not that like yeah. Okay, yeah, it, is that right? Yeah, it's right. But I need a little more a little more feel. But you're right; he's not that he's not the same kind of power chord player. But it is. I, I like that they put that on there, even though that was not a Steve Howe song. I mean, because it was everybody else but him, right. on that record. So at least you can say. Okay, like they didn't do any of the other stuff like when it was really just Palmer and Downs in the band. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think I was Carl Carl Palmer wasn't even there in ninety two, was he? It was just Jeff Downs. It was just Jeff Downs. Okay, so yeah, I mean but they didn't put any of that stuff in there. But they put this one in there. Yeah. Steve obviously was okay playing it. It was good to hear something from that record, which you know you kind of forget about after the first two. And it, yeah, so I'm glad that they they included that one in there and that he played ball for this one. Yeah, I don't know. At first, he well, it didn't sound great, and I was thinking maybe it's because it's so obligatory. But as it goes on, I think it really sounds like John and the crowd were really into it and having fun with it in London right before Christmas. So, you know what? It's pretty good. It's pretty... Steve could have sounded better, but it's it's pretty good. This overall, this live in London was, was very good. I mean, very different set list from the first four discs, but but very good. I mean, certainly, I put it at three. I don't know if I can put it at two or not, but I don't know. It, of, the, of the five concert of the five sets... What's your favorite? Can you do a one to five? Uh, okay, let's see. Let me go back and look here. Look here. I think I like, okay, I like the first set from Buffalo just because it's the, that's the, that's the raw, that's the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I would say probably the second one would be, when did they bring in the news of the, the legacy stuff? Brazil. Uh, three, yeah, Brazil. So the, yeah. Yeah. So that, that would be two. Then the three would be London, then Worcester, and then... I mean the Tokyo one just for me, just because of the just the energy on there. I would I would put as the last one. I would too. Be thinking about your your set list though in order though because uh, we're gonna do that. Oh next oh, oh set list set list, set list. Okay, okay let's see. For me, I put I put as number one. I put Brazil. I, I put that as number one because the sound is so good. They really seem to be happy playing together again. Great great set list. Mix it up with Don't Cry. I think I put Buffalo at two because you're right, it is them playing the original. I kind of already had it, so I was familiar with it. So I I could maybe even slide it down to three and put London 2010 as number two. Okay. It's close. Okay. It, it's close. I, I'm I, Maybe. It's just, yeah. It's like I, I own Buffalo before. I heard it before. I think it's better now. But I, I was familiar with it and not having heard this London one and the brand new set list, that could be two. Worcester is four, and then yeah, Tokyo's five. You know, I mean, the other Tokyo from the year before is so much better. It's basically the same as the one as Brazil, but it, it's so much better, and it's the same exact place. So yeah, I leave that last. So what was your overall thought of the whole thing? I mean, when you from when you heard it was going to be released till you mm-hmm. actually getting it. I mean, was it is it what you expected? Is it better? Is it worse? 
Did it live up to the expectations? Yeah, so it's, I think it's. I, I think it definitely lived up to it. it. It hasn't exceeded it in a huge way. It's just I wasn't totally familiar. Some of these I'd heard before. The first two I had definitely heard before. I thought that I'd heard the fourth, but I hadn't. The the quality of the third, fourth, and fifth, as far as the quality of the recording, is very good. The, the first two, which I was familiar with, they're cleaned up a bit. It's not totally different. I was familiar with them, but I'm glad that they're in there, and I'm hopeful for more stuff from that era, because there's only so much of it. I, I would like to hear more nights that they did on those first two tours. But yeah, that's great. The booklet is nice. Again, I'm just I'm a little disappointed at the fact there's no... You would think on the back of each of these, instead of some sepia-colored instrument, they would have a photo of the band from that era, whether it's a press photo or the back of the album cover photo or a live photo from them playing at that time. They have a lot from the reunion tour in here. And it's nice. Look, it's well done. I'm not complaining about its quality at all. They've got the, the leopard eagle on about every page in some form or another. It's always nice to get Roger Dean's autograph. Dave Gallant did a good job, you know, with the, the wording and all that. And I like the fact that the box isn't huge. They didn't make it into an LP-sized box where you can pull them out of safe things because now it fits well on the shelf. There's a consistency to all of them. Maybe a little bit on the – because everyone's basically exact same except for the color and the – this was at Massey Hall or this was at wherever. But overall, I mean, I think it's a quality piece. It's a way for them to get some of those that were released individually in the 2005 to or even 2003 all the way up to now. Put the best together and make something nice out of it. Get some original Roger Dean, which I love. Um, so no, it's quality. If you're an Asia fan, you absolutely ought to ought to. Get this. A- absolutely. You know, it's- I, I agree. When they announced it, I said, oh, this is this is ambitious. This is a lot to put a 10 disc set. OK, what, what is this going to be? But, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. You're right. The packaging looks great. The original artwork is fantastic to hear the progression from 1983 to 2010 is really cool, too. If you're an Asia fan it, to hear the some of the songs are the same. Some are not what they left in, what they what they kept, and to hear you know how the set list changed, I think it's good. I don't I don't think it's excessive at all. I think it, I think it all works really well. What about your favorite set list? You do favorite or le- and least favorite, or can you do a five in a row? I don't know if I can do five in a row. Yeah, I think I think my favorite set list is I think my favorite set list was probably the 2007 the, mm-hmm. the Brazil show in 2007 because again they, they to me this was more like you can do whatever you want it was more fast and loose mm-hmm. they had they had the old stuff this was the first time that they had put in the the legacy songs that I like the don't cry acoustic smiles left your eyes is on there and, and I really did like the video killed the radio star. The the heat goes on was good. Yeah, I, I think that's to me that's the, the the best mix of old stuff, new stuff. They're coming back. Uh, that's my favorite. See, to me, sadly, it might be the Japanese the Tokyo set list. Even yeah, though you're just talking about set list, you're just talking. I'm just about talking about the set, set list. list. I yeah. know, but you know, considering it's my least favorite recording, yeah, I think it's the best set list because it basically has the same stuff as yours except they do throw in daylight and they keep right easy you know and they throw in voice of america and and you lose one step closer which i like off of yours but you know they they redid don't cry it's a little different right um and the fact that heat of the moment isn't the last one along with two new songs that that blended in even if they're not my favorite 
they're they're pushing it they're pushing limits again so like i don't know the, the set list to me yeah number one is is tokyo which is kind of too bad i don't think there's necessarily a bad set list on here i mean how can you argue against the cd2 set list it's the first yeah. it's the first two albums you know we, we love that you know and i agree with you that the third is great so and i love the last one because if you've already listened to these four the last one is a great evolution, and the, the new right. songs are, are killer. Yeah, it, it, I, it, yeah, it is really hard. It, and like I said, when I when I heard this was announced, I I thought, I mean, what are we going to do? Is this going to be exactly the same thing over and over and over again? And no, they they did a good job of mixing it up and and giving you the old stuff reworked in mm-hmm. a in a cool way. Yeah, I, I don't hate any of them. I don't. There there isn't one on there that I was like. Ugh. I don't like this at all. Right. Uh, it, so I think the whole thing works as a 10 disc set. And I, and I really hope they, they keep going because it would be cool to hear the, the triple X stuff. And, and who knows, maybe you may even get another, you may even get another show from one of these tours mm-hmm. that might sound a little different. I don't know. Yeah. And did they ever mix up their set list? Even if it's only yeah. one or two songs. All right. Yeah. Give us that. Give us the one or two songs, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, did they open for anybody and they only had 50 minutes Okay, we'll get us a couple of those too. Why not? You know, yeah. I mean, so we'll see. Uh, again, if you're an Asia fan, you like the original band, you should absolutely pick this up. It is so good. It gives you such a breadth of over the years, same lineup, but breadth of incarnations as far as where they were in their career at the time and, and what they had recorded, what their catalog together was. Yeah, um, that's that's one of the things I'm really glad they didn't. I mean, no offense to anybody else who was in the band, but I'm glad they they just kept it to the four original members because you saw it, it was a better show of an evolution of how they got you know started and where they ended up in 2010. The, the other stuff would have been like I probably would have skipped it if it wasn't the original four. In all fairness, I, I don't think anyone's terribly <laughs> interested in it. I mean, when we got into them, we were already starting. They'd only been broken up a little while. We're like. It'd be really great if they got back together, you know, and it was like 15 years later or something like that that they finally did. But yeah, I mean, like you said, no offense to the other incarnations, and, and they right. were both in and out. They've had a lot of great players in and out of the bands over the years. But, you know, like we talked about John's voice, it seemed to get stronger, honestly. From disc one to disc five, you'd think it would be the opposite, or from show one to show five. But I I think it just got stronger and better, especially as he cleaned himself up. And he is what makes Asia distinctive, plus the four of them playing together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think you're right. I think he was taking better care of himself later on, which which sounds a little strange. You think it would be the other way around, but yeah, just it just an underrated underrated vocalist and an underrated musician. And I'm glad that they put this out and let you see kind of the, the whole history of him in this band, or at least up till 2010. Yeah, amazing. That wraps up our show on Asia's Bootlegs Volume 1, the new box set out now. So if you've got an Asia fan in your life, I highly suggest you go out and get that for them for this Christmas holiday season. It's great. The shows are great. It shows an amazing evolution of the band over time, how tight they were, how they evolved some songs, changed out their set list and what they sounded like together at different periods 
over the decades. And I'm very hopeful that there will be a volume two coming out in 2022. My only hope would be that maybe we get something that's never been released before. All five of these were released individually at some point. Now, it's great to have them all in one box set. Whether they clean them up or not, from the recording standpoint, I'm not sure. But you gave them all a nice, consistent look. They all fit together well. They all sounded great. And so I'm curious if you're going to do a volume two and you're going to do more from 82 and 83 and then some more from the reunion years, maybe you break out something that nobody's ever heard before. And of course, maybe, eh, just maybe, put some photos in there from each era so we can see what they looked like during each time. Maybe not necessarily from each show, but from that time. I just think it would add a lot to it. And we thank you for listening with us here. You know, we're big Asia fans. I don't know how many more there are out there. But if you are, we really appreciate you listening. And as usual, we want to know, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. You can DM us and tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf and at actionjack72. Of course, you can check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. And you can subscribe and download on Good Pods, Podchaser, Apple, Amazon, now on Samsung, really anywhere where you get your podcast. Next week, we kind of continue on our 80s theme that we've been on here for most of December, and that's with the Smiths, The Queen is Dead. The Smiths were huge over here in England and have been a huge influence on many bands and fans for decades here. Didn't really hit it huge in America, and we're going to talk a little bit about why we think that is and examine The Queen is Dead, which in my opinion is their best record. So until next time, rock and roll fans all around the world, Be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.